Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm David Breer and I'm joined by my colleague and co-host for today, Mr. Jeff Tyson. How's it going, Jeff? It's going very well. I look forward to a nice nice little therapy session today. Yeah, I'm a bit worried what we're going to unleash from Jeff here today, given his experience recently. But today we're going to be talking about mortgages, uh, what's working, what doesn't work so well, and what could be improved. I think that's the very polite, non-sweary version of what Jeff might want to say. Yes. Um, but this is um, mostly actually a bit of a follow-on message from actually something you posted out on LinkedIn, Jeff, wasn't mm-hmm. it? So um, I think you had a pretty painful experience of your own and uh, really, like you say, this is a bit of a venting session for you, but we, as always, try and you know make it reasonably balanced, right? What, we, what we happens try. though? So I, I can I can probably easily spend the rest of the day talking about how how painful and how terrible my my experience was. So in a in a nutshell, uh, we had to renew our existing mortgage, uh, and our bank at the time didn't even bother to uh, to contact us or to make us an offer. So we started looking for alternative options. Um, we explored traditional lenders, some of the newer players, uh, some mortgage brokers. We then received an offer from one of the larger lenders, which we were actually keen to accept. Uh, but we quickly discovered that they weren't actually able to honor the original offer that they made. Um, but since we ran out of time, we ultimately had to settle for a lower uh, amount, so a lower LTV at a higher interest rate. Uh, also, because they couldn't close on time, uh, we ended up paying a higher penalty rate with our old lender, which cost us a few thousand pounds. Um, so the, the, the sheer incompetence and complete lack of transparency just annoyed the hell out of me. So yeah, I, I do look forward to a nice little therapy session. Are we, are we spending an hour here just trying to get you a cheap mortgage? No, that would be that good, actually. It would definitely, it would definitely <laughs> help. All right. We're going to cover that and a lot more on this uh, episode of uh, Fintech Insider Insights. And naturally, uh, I mean... Maybe not naturally on this one. I think Jeff would probably be good just to vent for an hour. But uh, <laughs> we're always uh, joined by some fantastic guests. And this episode is uh, definitely no no change to that. So first up, we have Maria Harris, who is the Director of Intermediary Lending at Atom. How's it going? Hey, really well. Thank you. Thanks for coming down and uh, spending time with us. Uh, also, we have Toril Steinmo. Did I get that right? Yeah. That's right. Okay, wonderful. Head yeah. of Loans and Mortgages over in DNB. Uh, we have Vadim Toda, who is the CEO of Proportunity. How's it going? Very well, thank you. Uh, and uh, we have 11FS podcast regular Mr. Dan Haggerty, who is the CEO of Habito. How's it going? Very well. Hello. Welcome back. I mean, like, this was this like fourth or fifth time you've been I on just, the podcast now? I just can't get enough of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome back to the show. Thank you. All right, let's get on with this. So according to you, Jeff, um, the market's pretty damn broken, if you do say so yourself. Um, there was some really interesting statistics, uh, Dan, that uh, Habito did, which was um, a poll that you did with YouGov. So you found two-thirds of people who went through the application process felt stressed out by that, which um, I think is a... You know, the vein on Jeff's head right now is yeah, definite understatement there. Uh, most of those actually lost sleep over that process, about seven hours each of those. Um, half of couples rowed over the process, which is probably understandable. And one in 10 couples stopped having sex due to it, which I think we need to have a chat about your questionnaires, Dan. Um, like it's a uh, an interesting one to ask that I I meant maybe like just on that did you ask that or did they just volunteer that information before we get going it it was a contingent set of questions I was worried you were going to ask me about Jeff's sex life thing (laughs) (laughs) would have been a horrible digression I mean we'll come we'll come on to that very shortly but how uh, how do we know what's cause and effect 
<laughs> I mean, very true. Um, but I, I think the thing that um, sort of came through here was, uh, and probably most worryingly on this one, is that one in 10 sought GP help based on the, uh, the impact that this has actually on their mental health. You know, it, no getting away from it. Mortgages is one of the purchases is one of the most scary things that people really sort of get into. Uh, you know, first time buyers have been asked for crazy amounts of deposits. Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing more and more people really just not understand this market. So what do we think is broken in this space? What is it? What's the problem? I'm happy to kick us off. Yeah, I guess. Listen, I think I think at the very, I think it's two things fundamentally. The first is you're in the middle of probably the highest anxiety, most stressful period of your life if you're either purchasing a home or, repur- or remortgaging a house. And um, I think that there's a kind of pretty integral kind of anxiety around like just like shelter in essence, where your family's going to live, are you going to be able to afford to provide and, and so on and so forth. But I think when you then couple that with products that are really at their fundamental, just extremely complex um, and much more complex than your average consumer could be expected to understand. I mean, I guess, you know, a good example would be like, why, why would you expect a consumer to have a view on the Bank of England interest rate and what it's going to do over the next three years? There's certainly no other kind of consumer financial instrument that you would expect that. So, so yeah, I think, I think there is a, a problem with both the context the customer's in, but more specifically with the, the design of the these products, which is effectively built around banks' balance sheets rather than consumer needs. Mm. And like you say, given, you know, in the UK, particularly we're very preoccupied with like owning a little bit of uh, bit of the green sort of land that it surrounds it. But, uh, you know, so why is this still being able to be so complex? What do you think? Yeah, so Dan's right. Some of it is in the product and how the product's constructed. But the industry has done an amazing job of taking what should be quite simple data, quite simple decisioning, quite simple transaction between two parties and making it incredibly opaque and hiding so much of it from the customer that the customer genuinely, once you've submitted that application, most customers have no idea what is going on in the background of that process. Um, uh, And for me, I think the process is is fundamentally backside forward. Mm. Um, Most of the things that go wrong, go wrong after you have invested time, money, emotional commitment, gone through the stress of actually getting a mortgage offer, and then you find out that the dream house you want to buy actually isn't habitable or isn't insurable or actually isn't fit to have a mortgage on. So there's a whole load, there's there's kind of everything that can go wrong in that process is designed to go Mm. wrong and so opaque from a customer's perspective. Well, and it's one of those ones that given it's not something most people do, you know, yearly, I hope not, or, you know, depending on house prices, if you're selling and, you know, making a tidy profit, maybe, but, um, you know, people just don't have the experience of what all of this stuff means. Like, Like you say, in terms of interest rates, it's something that people just don't really have to you know never in your life do you really need that opinion but all of the the sort of context around it and the sort of opacity as you say is this an industry that's maintaining that opacity or do you think it's just because it's complex yeah i've only been in the industry 12 years and we've had some really nice tech innovation we've had some really nice ideas about improving individual parts of the process and I'm not convinced that I've ever seen the entire industry collaborate really effectively to reimagine what the journey should look like from a customer perspective so where we've made really good changes or really good headway it tends to be because it improves efficiency or reduces cost or takes some time out of the process. It doesn't actually change the end-to-end process of what a customer goes through. And you've not seen that same disruption that you've seen in other injuries where somebody said, actually, from a customer perspective, let's turn this on its head. There is a better way to make this happen. I've not seen that happen in the yeah. industry. So it's not, it doesn't start from the customer necessarily and their pain point. It's more around what are our pain points and how can we pass on some cost benefits. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's I guess, kind of like getting married, isn't it? 
right? As in, as in it's one of those things that you have to do until then. You don't have any knowledge of it. And you learn a lot about it. You do it in a short time when you're probably also at a stressful moment in your life because you're in your early parts of your career. You might be thinking about a baby, so you don't have much time for it. And then once you've done it, you don't have to think about it again, hopefully ever. But in reality, you'll probably do it two more times. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to have a second crack at it, you might do it very differently, I guess. Is, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, it's also uh, a big expenditure. Well, and uh, I guess to your point, there's, there's, there's actually so many different sort of actors in this process and not all of them are within the financial services organization's control uh, you know and, and actually this is probably one of the benefits in the norwegian market to a certain degree is actually given such a digitally uh, enabled environment there's a lot more opportunity to integrate yeah um thank you uh first of all i don't believe that the mortgage market or mortgages are broken uh, of course i'm only speaking for dmb and the norwegian market um, first of all, we are very lucky in Norway to have uh, both uh, a government and the regulators who are working uh, to digitize public services. So uh, the banks are working together with the authorities, for instance, with uh, uh, the tax authorities. Um, in my opinion, in the fact that the tax authorities and the banks have been working together is the most important enabler for digital applications, straight through processes, and making digital decisions. Mm. Uh, it works like this in DMB. In our applications, the customers give their consent for us to fetch their income, tax data, uh, all debt, and uh, we combine that, of course, with... Uh, 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 we get those data through APIs, of course, and uh, they will be automatically filled in in our applications, and we also pick up payment remarks, property values, and pledges on the property mm. on the way. And then we perform our scoring and we'll be able to say yes, uh, or as we do, send the case to manual handling if we are not being able to say yes digitally. Mm. And the customer will actually get a pre-approval or uh, refinancing of their mortgages in just a few minutes. Wow. And I think I think it might be moving to Norway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's property prices like in Norway? Because like uh, that that sounds very appealing, doesn't it? But because uh, and and as you say, that sort of integration into that end to end experience is really yeah. really important yeah. because we don't have that kind of luxury here, do we? No. So what do you think? I guess, guys, what do you think is kind of inhibiting us actually having a similar process here for uh, you know that that end to end experience? For my part, I mean, it's always commercial imperatives, right? And so, you know, I've heard a few people say in, in recent years, they've seen more innovation in mortgage in the last two or three years than the previous 20 or 30. And the reason is it's because Brit, the Brits want to own houses, like no one's like not going to get a mortgage because it was too hard, like everybody wants to own a house and have a dog. Um, Hey, Jake, <laughs> in the corner. Um, but I think, so I don't, I don't think there's really been a need uh, either. I, I don't think the banks have particularly perceived a need to improve their processes or bring in third-party data or in any way digitize the spine of the process. Hmm. However, I think, I think that's very much changed. And we've seen the Land Registry working on their slightly specious blockchain project, but, but kind of interesting nonetheless, that a kind of centralization of these like the core informational tenets of, of a mortgage. Um, but it is like very, very fragmented. I mean, you know, so tax, for example, for us, we seem like we're a long way off. Searches, it's still like five weeks to get a, a kind of a property search from Camden Council. Conveyancing, like and a third of, of uh, conveyancing solicitors still only just about work with email. So like if we can't get to work with email, getting them to subscribe to a central data vault or blockchain or spine or whatever you want to call it, feels some distance away. Hmm. And is, is this a process that gets, you know, to your point, uh, you taking your sort of 
marriage metaphor sort of forward. Like wedding, I would say. Planning a wedding. Um, yeah. But is it is it something that people get better at when they're remortgaging? Because I, I, I don't see it in that way, if I'm honest with you. I'm not sure people ever really get the confidence to actually understand what all of these terms actually mean. It's something that they do when they get through, and then they're just petrified of actually sort of any changes. You know, I'm not sure we're necessarily seeing statistically people making better decisions on their remortgage or, you know, second mortgage that they sort of take out than they do on the first one. Again, again this is why the marriage metaphor works. Doesn't necessarily mean your second marriage would be much better than. <laughs> <laughs> Some research we did show, I think more than half of UK consumers don't have the reading age to read their mortgage contract. Yeah, um, and I think we in some of the other survey, I think we found ninety five percent of consumers want to see regulation for clearer and more transparent language in these it, contracts. And I guess it's uh, this is something more for this is something more for Daniel than for me because you guys do a lot more on the remortgaging side than for us. We're mostly first time buyers, but. Um, it's you probably understand the concept, but to a certain extent, the way the process works today is if you still do it through a, let's say, a human interaction with a broker, uh, you kind of put all your faith in them, right? It's not necessarily them explaining to you, here's how the market works, here's if this doesn't work, what that would do, and if that doesn't work, here's what happens, and here's some timelines, and here's some expectations. They do that in a very light touch because it's quite complex, and to a certain extent, their knowledge also more empirically formed than rules-based very much, right? Because each player has their own rules and you don't know exactly if it doesn't work here, if it's not going to work there. Um, so that uncertainty stays probably in your second part, but at least you know interest rates, you might know an idea of what the right LTV is, how to get it, how long it takes. You have some expectations that pre- previously you probably didn't. Mm. But do, do fundamentally, do people actually understand what these things mean though? So like SVR, LTV, LTI, like... ERCs. I mean, a lot of these sound like... STDs. I'm not going to lie. Like this is a this is a difficult market for people to kind of get into. So, like, what, where where do people start getting good education about this? Is it a responsibility of from a governmental perspective? Is it a you know good financial planning? Is this an education earlier on thing, or what? Like, what's the what's the problem getting people to actually understand the process? Maybe I'm, I'm <clears throat> I have just gone through this and to a certain extent founding Proportunity, which is a mortgage lender, which I thoroughly recommend. If you want to really understand more, just found your own mortgage lender. Um, it tends to be quite an educative process. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I challenge if they, de- if they need to do it. Yeah. Right? Because think about it. To a certain extent, Google, Gmail, right? To get your email within seconds from one end of the earth to here and be able to reply and bold and hyperlink and add documents and all of this, I would say the underlying infrastructure for that is way more complex than for getting a mortgage. But do I need to understand all the SDKs and APIs and all the codes there? No, no one does because they tell you what you need to know and what you don't need to know. And here's what happens and here's what doesn't happen if you do that. And that's it. Mm. Right. So to a certain extent, I think it's more around summarizing, explaining, finding a, a way where people understand what they need to know and people making an effort to communicate that in a good enough manner. Right. And if it's a digital process and people can show you have a calculator and you say, here's how much you'll pay if this is your property price, there's how much you pay if you pay past this month, right? That's what you actually care about, whether it's SVR or standard variable rate. I, do you know what? I think, it's, I think it's the gravity of the situation. Um, you know, I've kind of done work in mortgages. I've done work in life insurance. And both the both of those in, in instances, it's places where people are just so scared of getting it wrong. Uh, I remember doing some research when I was at Lloyd's Banking Group into mortgages and actually a lady who was who'd actually sold mortgages on the phone for like four years still wanted to ring in to make sure she hadn't ballsed up filling in the, the paperwork. And it's those types of things because you're gonna be you're gonna be dealing with the repercussions of this problem that you might cause 
for 25 years. Um, you know, this is the type of thing that I, I honestly think it's a uh, how could you create that confidence in people to actually go through the process, you know? So all of those acronyms and the fact that we don't explain things in a really customer-centric way. So at the minute, it's not transparent. So you talk about the customer doesn't need to understand how we're calculating their affordability or their debt to income in the background. And you're right, they don't. But what we don't explain to them is, this is the true cost of your mortgage. This is how you compare those mortgages. This is what this means for you in terms of your life choices. But also this whole, the, the, the starting point for a mortgage is not the point where you actually apply what we're not very good at and what I'd really like to see open banking facilitate is to help customers understand it's a bit like doing a marathon. You can rock up on the day and you can run 26 miles, but it will be painful and it will hurt. You spend 12 months in advance of running the marathon, getting financially fit, getting yourself ready, understanding what the behaviors are, being healthy in a financial way. It's so much easier to get through the process. It will still hurt. And we don't do that, <laughs> but we, do, we don't make it easy. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd love open banking to get to a point where we explain to customers, not that you're spending too much on coffee, because that's really patronizing, but do you know that this financial decision or this amount of outgoing or this way that you're making your income work for you actually is going to make it harder for you to get a mortgage if getting a mortgage is your goal in 12 months' time? Mm. And open banking is absolutely the tool that we should be using to do that. When it comes to the where is the focus and where is the investment, banks are, and I'm going to use banks as the example here, banks are so focused on how their industry is changing that they're always going to start with transactional banking because that's where their touch points are. It's where their customer engagement is. The reality is most customers take a mortgage, they fix for two years or five years, and they have no interaction during that period. Mm. So mortgages are always going to be the poor relation in the respect of getting that that kind of focus. Which is which is crazy, isn't it? Because it's like actually current accounts, you know, we have a switching process. It's relatively straightforward. Whereas actually mortgages are such a, you know, you, you really have to trust that provider to, you know, put your house with them. You know, that, do you know what I mean? It just seems crazy that such a large level of commitment isn't given so much bigger priority when it comes to, you know, the commitment that the customer is making to you as a brand. True. And that comes back to the commercial bit about what's valuable and where the data is that's valuable mm. to banks. Yeah, and, and for me, I think it was, it was less about the complexity complexity of the product. It was more about the complete lack of transparency mm-hmm. and the fact that uh, there are so many different players involved and it's 2019 and I still have to call my bank to get an update on the status of my mortgage application, knowing that you only have a few weeks left to close your mortgage is, is ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. And to your point, I think most banks never developed the mortgage process around you know, true customer needs. And I think that's been a, a big, big part of the issue. Mm. You're, you're lucky, actually, because one of our colleagues applied for a mortgage. Y- you could call your bank. She couldn't call the bank. She called the bank and the bank was like, oh, sorry, but you have an intermediary that's doing this application. She needs to call us. And that intermediary moved firms. So the former firm had to authorize the new firm that she could still call the bank on behalf of this client. So imagine like the sellers kind of, being annoying to their solicitor, their solicitor's being annoying to your solicitor, your solicitor's telling you that this might fall through, you're trying to call the bank and then you have to wait for two weeks to get approval to actually find out where your mortgage is, which doesn't solve anything, it's just an FYI. And during all of that process, the data actually belongs to the customer. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
Yeah, uh, so, I mean, I spent my entire career in financial services, so I'd like to understand I know a thing or two about financial services. But for, for most customers, going through that whole process isn't just a really painful and frustrating experience. They just have no clue what's going on behind the scenes. Mm. Yeah. But it's also why the remortgage thing remains a problem because, you know, like a, a house purchase is a kind of confluence of stressful events. A remortgage is really like a financial optimization. You're just trying to sw- stay on the same rate. Consumers do not feel that way about it at all. They are The, the remortgage process pulls them back to that kind of emotional state of that first purchase and they go straight into a kind of fight or flight can't understand the numbers don't read it like but it's well, you kind of joke but it is like it is i mean there is like it is medically stressful for some people because they think they're potentially gonna lose their home or whatever they have right now is going to become unaffordable in the future and and is, is this is this where actually a broker model you know because we're really we're talking about do customers trust themselves and do they trust the people who are advising them with such an important purchase yeah i mean it, i think it cuts to the core of what we're building. So, I mean, the market is now 80% broker intermediated, right? So, there's definitely been like a, a kind of seismic shift over the last 10 years to being a customer receiving regulated advice that feels appropriate. The, the real challenge, and I'm sorry, this isn't an advertorial, but the real challenge that, that we face is that we're trying to talk to whatever thousands of consumers a month about making the right financial choices for themselves and their families. Um, and what I initially, the kind of vision I had when I launched the business was I basically wanted the spreadsheet that I made when I got my mortgage, which had fan charts and sensitivity analysis on Bank of England interest rates and scenario maps. Wow, you're really fun at dinner parties, dude. It's cool guy. <laughs> um, and so we kind of built, effectively built that Excel spreadsheet and as our MVP, it was like catastrophic failure like literally zero conversion like no people are not like you no one ended up wanting to see any of my graphs and then so you end up with this kind of continuum of like the kind of hyper quantitative approach to it versus the like this is the one you want like completely patriarchal don't worry don't worry too much about it this is the the cheapest on on the basis of true cost we got rid of all the free legal stuff um and the reality is the consumer well a the consumer is not ubiquitous oh sorry or not not the same consumer um the kind of experienced remortgager who's done this three times maybe is a little bit closer to the just wanting the kind of financial analysis was the first time I want to spend an hour on the phone with you, like explaining the very basic components of the mortgage. So I think, I think as a as an, an advisory model, the notion that one size fits all doesn't doesn't work. Mm. But trying to build tooling that allows the consumer to self educate and to kind of do some of the process themselves, so they feel some emotional ownership of it, mm. is really beneficial in the long term. Yeah. The, yeah, and there are very few financial products outside of a mortgage where you don't even know if you're eligible before you start the application process. And that's part of it. So even you're very experienced, worked in mortgages for years. I work in a, ban- a branch. I actually tell people what mortgages to buy. That fear factor is, what if they say no? Hmm. What if they find something that I don't know about in my credit score? What if I pop up on a fraud check? Because it happens all the time and it is scary. Hmm. And it is that absolute fear factor. We did some research and maybe beginning of last year around very experienced mortgage customers who were on either second, third, fourth remortgage or were sitting on SVR. Um, About half of them had no idea what rate they were on, where to find it or where that rate ended. And these are experienced mortgage customers and they still didn't know. They would have to ring up their bank and then they would wait however many weeks for their bank to tell them, this is what rate you're on and this is when it finishes. And even then, most banks don't tell the customer they then have choice. True. True. Yeah, we we just paid, uh, we just spent seven hundred fifty pounds doing a valuation. Then they came back with a ridiculous valuation that didn't make any sense. We then wanted to challenge the valuation, which they didn't allow us to do. So that's seven hundred fifty pounds just down the drain. Yeah. Most banks have a policy they'll never revalue a property. Yeah, which is uh, yeah. Like, we have uh, a, on what basis? <laughs> we we have a we have a fair because we we were just challenged that as well, and basically 
opportunity kind of gives you the deposit and it's part of like a percentage of the house. And then at exit, you have to have a method of how do we do this if you don't sell, right? If you want to refinance us out. And um, we basically have a free prong approach, whereas his, based on our algos and uh, our experience, what we think the house is worth, and you can challenge that. And if you challenge that, we send free real estate agents to come and value it for free, right? And we take the average of that if you're happy. And if you're not happy with that either, then we set a Rick Surveyor who kind of like, this is the ultimatum and so forth. And I think then you have to challenge Rick's if you want to challenge that. But it's just a bit more like, what would I do if I wanted my house revalued? I'd go to a real estate agent and probably ask him what it's worth because I can do it for free. Mm-hmm. Why not use that in your process? Mm-hmm. This deal sets apart. That this economy okay. is... We need to get down yeah. to business. Yeah. 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 Clearly the pressure is beginning. Business investment. Jobs. The more you hear about Brexit, the less clear it all becomes. When everyone else is shouting... Listen. For the clarity behind the headlines, subscribe to the Financial Times. Visit ft.com. Calling all fintechs, banks, developers. Are you looking at ways to use new open APIs to create the next financial app? Are you looking to break into new markets, the USA in particular? FinAstra and Microsoft are hosting the Fusion One Developer Conference in London on the 21st and 22nd of May 2019, down at Tobacco Dog. Join this free open finance developer conference to upskill and open APIs, understand how you can tap into FinAstra's 8,000 strong client base with your apps, and get hands-on technical walkthroughs with the platform and API experts. Register your place at Fusion One today online at fusionone.cloud. Join the open banking revolution, because, after all, we're all innovators. Why, um, so why hasn't this been fixed? You know, like we're, we're facing into, you know, an end, to your point, an end-to-end process that is, it's not even really been digitized by many. It's still com- almost completely an analog process through many parts of, of this. And the end-to-end of it, to the sort of opacity we were talking about earlier on, seems to kind of benefit surveyors or you know uh, solicitors like you know solicitors love a good letter don't they so you know it's uh, being in that situation where this takes a lot longer than it needs to it just seems to be making people money in that process why has this not been fixed i have to be careful because i think i'm switching into jeff here (laughs) getting you rolled (laughs) up now um to a certain extent, I think, and look, I'm biased. I'm somewhat probably the newest person in the room to start to try to change mortgages, um, and we're a very small player. But um, I think it just didn't need to, if you know what I mean. As in, up to 2001, so we did the studies, we looked at first-time buyers, because usually these are the guys that feel the pain first, because they're the ones with the lowest incomes, and they're the ones with the lowest savings. So whenever there's a rule about who falls through the cracks, they fall through the cracks, mm. right? And uh, there used to be 507. It's really funny because you read the newspapers now and they say, oh, it's 10 record year for first time buyers. But you're like, yeah, okay, so that's 370 or 380,000. But in 2001, there were 570,000, right? And and the whole UK transaction market's a million, a million point two. So that is a big gap, right? And um, we were talking to them and we were like, okay, you did a survey of 1,300 people. Like, okay, what's the biggest problem in your mind? What, what is the number one roadblock? Because there's so many things and probably we've not even touched the surface within 30 minutes. And they said, it's the deposit, right? Like I can handle the pain. It's like a wedding. 
sucks to plan a wedding, but you do it because you're going to love it in the end. And it's the same as a mortgage. I mean, I'm starting to feel like you've had a bad experience planning a wedding. Because <laughs> like oh, right. so. we were we were doing it in Romania and we were here. And my parents, I think, aged two years in about three months. <laughs> we'll uh, come back to that on another episode. But, yeah, a, wedding, a good wedding planner, I think, is like a good mortgage broker. Um, but... Um, the the problem was like can you fix deposits and you know like all right you have help to buy we help to buy dying okay we can try to do that but the the reason was we were like okay so let's say deposits why was it working in 2001 right well it was working in 2001 not because the bank had something different they had the same models right around 20% deposit is the optimized point where you get the kind of best interest rate per your buck um it hasn't changed only thing that has changed is house prices. So it's not like the mortgages worked until now because they were paying more attention or they were doing certain things. There was a model that was fought in the 60s and it kept working and now it's not working. And now people are starting to pick up on that and fix it. But until now, it was just not burning, mm. right? There were other things that were burning with like insider trading and then like investment banking collapses. So like things were other things to focus on. And now mortgages are, oh, wait, we're selling much less and it's becoming much tighter margins. And it's about digital experience and customer experience and how do we do that and for me and to a certain extent i think there's a lot of work that is probably overdue and people are doing it and i think there's a lot of focus on it because it's a big complex process to change that affects hundreds of thousands of people every year and as you said it's probably one of the biggest concerns right like a few things go wrong and they feel sick and they can go to the hospital so it's it's, it's not easy to change that and it's super regulated but my fear is that i think customer experience is great and someone needs to focus on that but my fear is that I, I think banks over the next couple of years are going to focus a lot on having digital apps and fucking having a great customer experience, but they're not actually going to challenge the, the fundamentals, right? Because until now, what we've seen is mortgages haven't really changed. They're kind of like the auto and diesel engine. There have been improvements in turbos and so forth, but in reality, it's somewhat the same engine that it was in the 60s. And what we're trying to say is, what if we could bring an electric motor? Hmm. Right. And that part, because what is, what is funny, we were talking at some at some of these breakfasts and uh, discussions, and I don't think someone can actually link and it, someone can. There's any person in the bank that can link the interest rate that you get to the risk that you have. Right. Your risk in your house and say, why is this person getting that interest rate? Not because that's what the criteria says, but I mean, like, how did you calculate that criteria and why did you allocate that interest rate? What is the risk modeling that you have from end to end? And show me that if something changes in your variables, how does the output change? And I don't think there's anyone because I think there was in the 70s or 80s and people just kind of updated. And they said, oh, this year some numbers have changed, therefore we need to move it 2%. But overall, no one has that formula. Mm. And I think at some point... That's going to crash. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it's really interesting because, like you say, the the whole sort of analog to digitize piece. Yeah. You know, we're sort of in the middle of that right now in the mortgage space, and and digital, what that actually is, is so far down the line in terms of where we're at. I guess the you know the trend that we've seen in in everything else is moving away from humans, though. You know, in terms of retail banking, self service is everything. Are we are we there yet? Like, are we kind of are we ready to let go of sort of humans in this process? I guess either you know physically chatting to you know a lovely human in a branch, or you know digitally through a, a instant messaging. What do you guys think? Um, I don't think that all the people are through with talking to human beings, and uh, especially the first time buyers. In our experience, they like someone to hold their hand in the start. Uh, how much can I borrow? How will it be for me? How much uh, uh, will I be able to pay? How much should I pay? Um, 
Do I have to manage this on my own? Where can I get, uh, how can I get my savings? Um, so first time buyer, I think need advisors, uh, and will do for some time. Mm. But, um, but also people facing, uh, different situation, divorcing, moving from an apartment to a house, uh, often need someone to talk to. But, uh, more and more of the advice could be given by chatbots, uh, using SMS, sending mails, uh, just a phone. So fewer person than, uh, persons than earlier or customers than earlier really need this person needs to talk to Mr. Something. So, but that's about us being able to be more and more transparent, uh, being more efficient uh, and being more customer centric, first of all. Mm. So, so people aren't done just yet, then. No, That's, they're not. What yeah, do you think? I think we could probably do a whole podcast just on what being human and having that kind of personal feeling like you have support actually means. Because I'm not sure that I'm not sure that it applies the same way today with the technology that we have and with the generation that have come up completely digital native. I'm not sure they would see personal in the same way that maybe somebody who is on their third or fourth three mortgage yeah. would expect to go and do face to face as being personal. But we could do a whole session just on that. Um, to go back to your question, though, about the what actually needs to be reimagined and what needs to change, there's definitely something in the, the underlying fundamental of how our industry is set up. So, you know, countries like Norway have such an advantage that their government data, digital identity, land registry data, all of the other bits of the chain that we find really challenging just now aren't available to us. And it will come. Digital Street will get there. They will use whatever technology platform they're going to use to make that stuff searchable and to make it, to give it back to a customer and to get your deeds into a format that can be machine read and all of that. That stuff will come. But at its heart, a mortgage started with a piece of paper between you and a bank or a building society where a lot of people saved some money and said, this is your turn to have a mortgage this month. Go and buy your house. Here's your bit of paper. And it is built organically from that transactional piece of paper. And while we've digitized individual elements of it, and I know we're having done the sales and origination process and getting a mortgage offer out in 14 seconds, absolutely it can be done. If we can do it, any bank can do it. But the actual, do I take a mortgage? I borrow this huge lump of money and I pay it back over 25 years. That construct was built around the fact that you used to have an annuity or an investment that was attached to your mortgage. It's a completely arbitrary concept that you have to have a mortgage for 25 years and that's how you prove your affordability. But people's attitude to ownership and how you finance things, I've got a 22-year-old and a 16-year-old, they don't expect their finances are going to work like that. They don't want to buy DVDs. They don't want to buy music, albeit my youngest one's quite into vinyl at the moment but they want to stream services they want to have that fluidity so why is your mortgage not something that goes with you and expands contract contracts is flexible can be taken with you whatever your lifestyle choice needs to be at that time so that if you're moving from uni to your first I want to buy a house with my mates or now I'm moving in with my partner or now I'm getting married or I'm going to have a family or I'm going to downsize or I'm going to go traveling for two years whatever that is mortgages are not set up now to mm. be that lifestyle product so if you were going to fundamentally change it 
that's where I would start. Yeah. So we I completely agree with you. You know, we talk a lot about uh, the shift from products to services, and that's the fundamental point, isn't it? Actually, the being the products that were being sold now is the same products that we've had for 100, 150 years. And actually, the move to a, a service that grows with you as you grow would be a, a very different different model, wouldn't it? You know, because I, I guess really, you know, the innovations right now are it's about distribution, really. You know, this is about distribution of similar products, uh, whether it's a broken model or whatever model it, it is. Um, but I think until we sort of see that fundamental unpicking of the product in itself and the creation of something that actually kind of follows you around rather than the version of you when you were, you know, 25 trying to get that first first sort of foot on the ladder type thing. Um, and I think that'll be a, you know, I mean, it'll probably help Jeff out, right? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But I, th- I think I think that's the point. And I think I, I couldn't agree more, Maria, because we all know that the existing process is shite, at least, at least here in the UK. But this isn't just about, okay, let's create a, a digital version of the, the application process and that fixes all of our problems. This is how do you completely rethink and reimagine what that service, to your point, David, or the experience looks like as opposed to, yeah, okay, let's just create a, a, a digital version of the existing process, but the existing process stays exactly the same because the existing process is exactly the bit that's broken. I think that's sadly that like the dull truth though is that it, it is the fundamentals is built on our bank's balance sheets and they you know they're in the IRRB and they've got capital adequacy ratios and they'll tell you all day that having a longer than five year fixed rate no customer would ever want that they don't want to commit for twenty five of course they would like everyone wants a thirty year fixed rate that's yeah. portable and flexible and has like doesn't have egregious ERCs but they're completely uneconomical under Basel three for banks to hold them mm-hmm. on their balance sheet so. Maybe banks shouldn't be the ones giving mortgages. <laughs> I mean, is the is the kind of the conclusion you reach because because that that's not going to change. Mm. Um, like, there no amount of digitization is going to make a longer term fixed rate product or a, a kind of differentiated construct of the mortgage economical for a bank. Yeah, and I don't want this to be a, a bank bashing exercise as somebody who currently built the mortgage process for a bank. <laughs> um, but it is the other players in the chain as well. So when you talk about valuation, conveyancing, searches, all of those things are set up on commercial models. They're all based on income and the customer ultimately pays for those services. So there are certain things, for example, where... Um, if I remortgaged my house two years ago, all of my searches and checks would have been done at that time. I've lived in my house 15 years. But if you buy my house, you have to pay to have all those checks done again. And then you move two years later and Dan buys your house. He also has to pay to have all those same yeah. checks done. So we have a number of cottage industries in here. So to ask the entire industry to go, let's be really altruistic. Let's put our philanthropic hats on and do something that's absolutely the right thing for customers are absolutely turkey's fortune yeah. for Christmas. I completely it, agree. Like you say, it's that, it's that end-to-end isn't it you know well, they're, they're living in very big cottages the amount of money those things are actually sort of making aren't they my my fear is though and in a way it's the what i like about mortgages is that because it hasn't been improved dramatically for a long time there's a lot of low-hanging fruit so for example one of the exactly we keep bashing on mortgages and mortgages and banks and stuff but actually one of the most painful parts of my process was solicitors right we had like mortgage offers within two or three weeks but solicitors took about three and four months because i was one of the unlucky guys that decided to close over the summer. And I remember we sent an email with inquiries and three weeks later, the person said, oh, could you resend it? Because I couldn't find it. You had one job, right? Read the inquiries and reply. (laughs) It wasn't that hard. But uh, yes, paying for them is painful. But for me, the most painful part was the months. It was like four months of doing searches and inquiries, which are just questions and answers. And in America, you have prepacks. Right, which is basically the seller says, if I'm going to put my house up for sale, I'll take the responsibility of doing all of this. It's kind of like selling a company, right? I'll do 
all I need when I do need to do IPO, I'll do my memorandum. And the moment if you want to buy or sell, here's everything. Within three seconds, you have them. Just make up your mind and the transaction is done. I'm like, why aren't we doing that? It turns out they tried, but yeah. people didn't want to not get paid. So, so we, we have that in Scotland. <laughs> we have that in Scotland where the seller, the vendor, does have a, a pre-pack. Yeah. And we, um, our government talked about having, was it HIPS yes, at the time? Um, yeah. And yeah, there, there was a whole load of other stuff that happened politically and decided that actually this is not a good time to do this. And then it got canned. But you're absolutely right. In other countries and including in Scotland, that stuff works really well. So we, we want to roll that. Uh, we want to... We have basically uh, an interesting pipeline where it is for about a thousand homes we really like to invest in that match first time buyers' needs of the first time buyers we're looking at. We want to go, first of all, we'll pay for this. So if you want it, you have no uncertainty. You can basically get a mortgage offer. And the moment you have a mortgage offer, you can complete theoretically the next day. right? And then secondly, uh, for these homes, we want to, and this is the part that's harder to do because we need cooperation. Because this is the, the, the reason I was saying is if you want everyone to work together, you have to realize it will take more time, especially in an industry like this where everyone's quite well-rooted and it's hard to move its roots and relocate here. But if you want to do it on your own and you can do it on your own, you can do things quite quickly, actually. And uh, the second thing we want to do is give a 0%. So for these homes, we really believe in and we think are in growth areas. We don't think that you need to put a 5% deposit. So we want to find a mortgage lender to say, well, opportunity, we'll put 20%, we'll put our money where our mouth is. You just have to pay all the legal fields and the taxes and we'll give you a mortgage to this house. But getting mortgage lenders that are happy with a 0% deposit from a borrower is something that we need to work with a bit more. So this comes back to the whole data thing, though. There is so much inherent bias in the decision in, in how mortgages have been constructed on balance sheet, how banks' capital and liquidity ratios are built around that. So um, we're doing a piece of work with Newcastle University around trust in yeah. banks and whether or not we can use distributed ledger and um, kind of machine learning yep. decisioning to take the bias out of the decisioning process. Um, and there's, there's a, a whole load of research coming through around things like you've got a real societal shift to things like self-employed, gig economy, slash kind of careers. But your risk models would inherently tell you that those customers are higher risk and therefore get a higher price or have to go to a specialist lender. So we're working on how do you take that bias out? Some real female bias in there as well, because historically women earned less or work part-time or didn't work at all. So all of those risk models over hundreds of years mm, would yeah. tell you that we're more risky to get a mortgage when actually, you know, the, the future doesn't this, look like the, that. The world's moved on slightly, hasn't this, it? Yeah. This is something that, sorry, I don't, I'll stop, I'll stop being Jeff. Um, um, this is something that I find it kind of somewhat frustrating in mortgages, and I think actually leads to a lot of the, this frustration and lack of transparency, that it's very much a yes or no decision. And I'd like to challenge that. Why can't it be a uh, 3% or 4% decision. We'll still give you a mortgage, but it won't be 3% interest rate. It would be 5% interest rate because you are more risky, but we can price that because, risk. Because the argument is that you end up with the, the poor cross-subsidizing the wealthy, um, which kind of, particularly in home ownership, is probably we, not the cornerstone of a, the kind of democratic economy we're trying to build. Aren't we ending up with that anyway by forcing them to rent instead of buying a no, home? We just, I mean, we just don't let them buy. I mean, you, you know, 
default rate in the UK is under 10 basis points, repossession rate of houses. Yeah. In the US, which operates more as you describe, it's 100 basis points. So, you know, the, the reality is part of the constriction for first-time buyers was some pretty well-wrought legislation in, in the form of the mortgage market review in 2012, which made it hard for first-time buyers to get mortgages that they wouldn't be able to afford if interest rates went up. And although, like, it's incredibly frustrating, like, for, for first-time buyers, like, we've been in a, like, a, in a historically low interest rate environment for 10 years, and nobody's experienced interest rates going up. And there would be a lot of first-time buyers without MMR who would now be underwater and, you know, having much more serious issues. So I think, I think that we kind of have to walk that line carefully. Like, of course, we want everyone who wants to own a home to be able to own a home, but there is a, a level of responsibility we have to take in how we make those lending decisions. True. True. And I think we all remember what happened in 2008. It wasn't ideal. Yes, but I think there's a lot more. There's a lot more around ninja loans and loans being given without. And it's interesting because the default rates in the US also rely to the fact that it's much easier to default. As in, if in the US you leave your keys on the table and walk away, that's it. It's forgiven. In the UK, you leave your keys on the table and walk away, and this bank comes out 50k short. You owe 50k. I don't know if you die if your kids owe 50k, but it's kind of in that direction. So people are a lot more responsible about it. So, so we spoke about the UK, we spoke about Norway and, and how amazing Norway is compared to the UK. Uh, have you guys come across any any other interesting examples or real innovations in, in other parts of the world? The Netherlands, I think is a super interesting market. So in 2012, the insurance companies entered the market as direct lenders. So literally started building stores and giving mortgages, which seems kind of unthinkable. Um, in six years, they now, I think, have 48% of all mortgage lending uh, in the Netherlands. And I guess the, it comes back to the balance sheet question. You know, For an insurance company or a pension fund, not to get technical, but has these long dated annuities or liabilities yeah. to meet, um, they can, they're in a position where they would be very happy to have a 25, 30-year fixed rate mortgage on their books. So I think, I think en- the entry of kind of non-bank sources of capital into the mortgage market could be the beginning of the, you know, a kind of new phase of product development on the at the very kind of core of the, mm. the, the mortgage industry. Well, it's it's usually somebody coming in who isn't defending an existing business model that is really sort of uh, sets the the world alight when it comes to sort of change, isn't it? But uh, do you do you guys think that will happen? I guess in the UK market, are we likely to see somebody sort of come into this space with uh, maybe nothing to lose, as it were? Absolutely, I think so. Absolutely, I'd be. I wouldn't. I would be very surprised if we didn't see pension funds and insurance companies directly investing in residential mortgages where, for the next eighteen months. Where fully FCA authorized mortgage lender, second charge, but we're funded by a pension fund. Hmm. There right, so it's kind of yes. happening. The world is changing. Wonderful. Yeah. All right. Um, I think we could probably talk about this one for hours and hours and hours. And I, I think, like, are you feeling better now, Jeff? Have you got it sort of? Much better. Yeah. Much much better. Do you want a hug? I'll hug you. <laughs> so we're we're you know we're in the midst of you know, an end-to-end process that isn't really consumer-friendly in any way. I think the fundamentals are probably needing to be a little bit rethought in terms of actually what the the service is around this. And then actually, I guess we're in a situation where who's going to be first to make this happen, right? Uh, It's going to be a fascinating place to be. And I am definitely going to be remortgaging one of my properties. So this has been really interesting. So thanks for the, thanks for all the information, guys. All right. uh, Well, that wraps up today's show, actually. Um, If you liked what you heard, feel free to get in touch and like, let us know what particularly was there. Uh, If you want to drop us one of those reviews over on uh, Twitter, uh, you can find us. And over on iTunes, you can drop us one of those reviews. Um, Where can people find out a little bit more about you though, guys? Dan, where can people find you? If you want a glorious mortgage come over to habito.com and if you want to hear my musings on twitter i'm at dh underscore habito very good maria uh so follow me on twitter at dm underscore maria h or at atom bank brilliant Terrell. 
Well, you can contact me at my email address or at LinkedIn. Wonderful. Uh, and Jeff, what about you? Just before we move on. It's Jeff Tyson on Twitter. Very, 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 very good. Uh, and Vadim, where can we find out more um, about you? Well, um, if you're trying to buy your first home, propertynity.co. And um, for me, probably there as well, if you just pull up a chat and ask a few questions. I have no social life. Um, no, on LinkedIn. You can reach me on LinkedIn. If you're looking for tips on mortgages or getting married, then drop the jump. <laughs> All right. And for me, you can find me on at David Breer over on Twitter. Thank you very much for listening this week. Um, if you want to learn more about all the other stuff that we're up to, head over to either Twitter, Facebook, or I mean, just like Google 11FS at this stage. We're everywhere. As usual, uh, don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss one of these episodes. Thanks very much. Goodbye. <laughs>